that. I asked you earlier to take your Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25, because I want to talk on this subject, a newlywed walk, a newlywed walk. Now, I'm, I'm going to go off of what Brian had talked about last week and laid out so clearly as to who we are in Christ, the old man versus the new man, the old self versus the new self, and Paul has a few words for us to follow that up with. And he, and he starts in verse 25. There's some things that we should be doing and some things that we should not be doing that he addresses very clearly that goes along with being that new person in Christ Jesus when we become saved. So what he says there, if you look in verse 25, the first word as last week when I started, or two weeks ago when I brought the message from Ephesians chapter 4 verse 1, he started out with that same word, therefore. So here, what I'm starting out with is therefore, so that tells us that there was something that was mentioned, there was something that was taught on prior to this. So we know that what he's about to tell us is how we are to, uh, how we are to uh, carry ourselves as a Christian now that we are that new person in Christ. And this is what he has to say about it. And I'm going to ask you, if you would, would you stand to your feet in the honor of the reading of God's word this morning? It says in verse 25, therefore, laying aside all falsehood, speak, speak truth, uh, each one of you with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and yet do not sin and do not let the, the sun go down on your anger. And do not give the devil an opportunity. He who steals must steal no longer, but rather he must labor, performing with his own hands what is good, so that he will have something to share with one who has need. Verse 29, Paul says, Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word is good for that is good for edification according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, and forgiven each other, just as God in Christ has also forgiven you. Let's, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for what Paul is about to teach us or what you're about to teach us through the words of the Apostle Paul and how to live that life, Father, in the new person that we are in Christ. And Father, very clearly here, he gives us some instructions that are so valuable. Now, I pray this morning, Father, that you allow us to see this in a new light as many, as a, many of us here have read this scripture time and time again. And Father, we've had the impact. We've had an impact our life to the point where it's changed us and we've lived by it. It's sometimes, Father, our knowledge of your word can fade, the meaning can fade, and it can in our, in our minds just a tad. And Father, we're praying that you will bring it back to us, Father, in all of its glory so that we can know what it is that we're to do and what we're not to do as the new person you've created us to be in your son, Christ Jesus. Teach us what we didn't know before. Teach us, Father, what we've allowed slip in our life and bring us back to a full knowledge of your word in Christ Jesus. And we ask these things in his name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. In verse 25... Paul lays out some things here that we, might, we not only must do, but we should already be doing these things as a new child of God. We should already be doing them. 
But he wants to remind the Ephesians, and God has preserved this word for us to remind us of how we're to walk with God as well. And that's what this, this whole book of Ephesians has been about, about our walk, our walk with the blessings that he's given us, and the walk in our responsibilities that we need to perform, as we've started looking at uh, in chapters 4, and we'll go all the way through verse 6 about the responsibilities that we have. Now, as a new child of Christ, we have some old habits that need to be broken, and God will work on us and clean us up along the way. Sometimes it's hard to get out of old habits when you're trying something new. If you've ever tried a, a new way of doing things at work, or maybe a computer program has changed a little bit, and you have to learn a new way to do it, and you have to alter your procedure or the process that you once knew, it gets a little used to taking, to get used to it, doesn't it? It takes just a little while. If you've ever played sports and you're learning new plays, it, gets, it, it takes time to get used to a new movement or a new off, offensive formation. There's things that take time, and in our Christian walk, and I don't mean to, to, to compare the Christian walk and to, mean it in, to demean it in any way by talking about sports or our, our work life, but we know what it means to kind of transition at times. And sometimes there's things that we just have a habit of doing that God just hasn't cleaned us up yet, but he's working on us and it's a work in progress. So I want us to realize that and remember that as we go along in the scripture. Paul says in verses 25 and 26, he teaches us that as a result of our conversion, our attitude should be adjusted, our speech should be edifying, and our actions be godly. And in verse 27, he tells us why. So that we don't give the devil the same opportunities that we gave him before we knew Christ. And in verse 27, that's precisely what he says. After the first couple of things that he lists, he says in verse 27, do not give the devil an opportunity to use you for his purposes any longer. After Paul points this out, he begins to teach a little, dif a little deeper on the issues um, to point out some Old Testament scripture so that they know these things are from God. He even quotes Old Testament scripture in verse 25, so he's trying to let them know that God hasn't changed in any way. He's letting them know because a lot of them were very familiar with the old scripture. A lot of them had been taught, especially the Jews. And what he is trying to, to get across to them is saying, hey, this is not a new teaching. And the point that we should take away from that today is to know that what we're reading here and how we hear God teach it this morning is not something new. It's something that we should be doing all along and we should have been doing all along. He also goes more in detail so we can know for ourselves that there is a true conversion, uh, that there is true conversion and others can see that true conversion as well so that they can see Christ in us. However, more importantly, he goes into further detail so we have the means to point the unbelievers to Christ. And that's ultimately what we're trying to do. And that's what, what's what God wants us to do is to point the unbelievers to Christ. And let me add as a bonus for the preacher, for all you preachers out there and all of us that teach God's word, Paul lays out a great outline here. He lays out a perfect three-point Baptist outline in this sermon, and when you look at it, it just kind of pops at you. So there's kind of a bonus for me, too, and I was going over the scripture, and I've never, I was looking back at my notes, and I don't think I've ever taught on this specific uh, scripture, verses 25 through 32 before, and the, and the outline just kind of pops out at you. But it's very clear, it's very simple, and it begins by realizing that we have to have, in our newlywed walk, we have to have a new action. Now, when you first married your spouse, 
There were some things you had to change. There were some things that you had to do, but there were most of those things you were willing to change or willing to begin a new way of doing things or to start doing things because you loved your spouse so dearly. Am I right? We all did that. There were some things that you knew just had to go. There was some, there was some habits that you had maybe in your hygiene or maybe in your cleanliness around the house or just the way you watch TV at night or where you sat. There was a lot of adjustments that needed to be made. And in the Christian walk, when you come to know Christ, there's a lot of adjusting that needs to go on. There's some things that need to stop happening that were happening. And there's some things that need to begin to happen that hadn't been begun in the past, that we had not been doing. And that's what Paul is going to address. And the first thing he tells us, there's, there's three things that I want to point out here because it is a great three-point message and, and the way Paul lays it out here. But the first thing that we need to realize as a new person in Christ is that we have to have a new action. Now, if we look at these three points, a new action, new speech, and a new attitude, and I've, as I've mentioned in, in the introduction, underneath these three umbrellas, you can apply every part of the Christian life if you stop and think about them. Now, I'm going to do that at this point, but I want you to go home and meditate on this, this scripture. See what God is telling you to know that your Christian walk, everything that you do or say will fall probably under one of these three categories that we can learn from or one of these three issues that Paul mentions. He mentions in verse 28, this is what he said, he who steals must steal no longer, but rather he must labor performing with his own hands what is good so that he will have something to share with the one who has need. So we'll be able to share with others. You know, a thief who steals something doesn't want to share it with anybody. Or he wouldn't have stolen it in the first place. He wants it for him. It's all about him. It's all about me. It's all about number one. Amen? I think there was a song like that. I think I might have just quoted a country song or something I've heard before. But it's, that's what a thief thinks. He, he doesn't have anything for anybody else. It's all about him. Well, in the Christian walks, we, we don't steal so that we can give to others. None of us are named Robin Hood. None of us at all. But, but in the Christian walk, we will want to do good works and good deeds so that others can share with what we have, especially those that are in need. And that's what, precisely what Paul is trying to point out to us. So he says that we have to have a new action. Now, he points out a couple of things here, but what he's trying to tell us is that in our actions, you know, stealing is an action. It's, it's something that we actually do. We go through a process to steal something. And also, work that he mentions is also something that, that we do. It's an action that we take. James puts it this way. In James 1.22, James says, prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. So James charges us with actually doing something for God, actually taking action to do something. And Paul is teaching us here in Ephesians that those actions must be appropriate. Those actions must be godly. Those actions must point back to Christ Jesus. That's what those actions must do as a new Christ, as Brian showed us last week, that new man that we become in Christ Jesus. He lists here some examples. As I've already said, he listed about stealing, he listed about work, he, he pointed those things out. Which is, as we all know, stealing, of course it's wrong, and we should not practice any, this any longer, but we should also not have a desire to do this any longer. You see, and, and, and Paul was just using an example in stealing, but it could be lying, it could be coveting things, it, it could be any sin that has controlled your life as a sinner, that now that you're a new man, that you must put those things off, 
and you will no longer have a desire to do those things. You know, when you become a Christian, there's true conversion there, and you have now surrendered your life to Jesus. Immediately, God, God's Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost is going to take some of those desires. It's called the work of it. It's called conviction. And he's going to take some of those desires to do what you were doing wrong. He will take those from you. However, our habits keep coming back up. The fleshly habits that we have will come back up. But God will take away the desire for you to do these things any longer. And that's how we can really see and really feel inside of ourselves that there is true conversion. So that's the, that's the work of the Holy, the Holy Ghost. He also brings up work. This is not just our work at our jobs and our careers. This is anything that we do. Uh, last week, when, when, we took the, when we looked at the gospel and our work in our Life Connect group back there, we talked about not just our careers when we talk about work, but we're talking about everything that we do every day. When we wake up in the morning from changing a baby's diaper to feeding the baby to bathing a young child to going to our jobs to working in the yard uh, to raking the yard to working on our cars, or whatever that we do, if we're, if we're at an event for a, a church and we're volunteering, we're doing work, whatever we do, it's not just where we get paid, but everything we do should be worked and it should be done as if we were working for God. It's not just going to our careers and our jobs. And, and I want to make that very clear because this is not what Paul was talking about either. Paul was talking about everything that you put your hand to, everything that you work at, should be done for the glory of God so that others can see Christ in you. And that was the whole purpose. So he brings it up. Colossians 3.23 and 24 says it this way, Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men. You know, men's expectations are not what God's are. They're just not. So sometimes we can get lazy in our work because we know that, well, they'll let us slide with some things. If you've ever been in a place of work and people come in late all the time and they continually come in late and five minutes turns into 10 and 10 turns into 20 and 20 turns into an hour, you know who's taught them that, don't you? They're leaders because they know our expectations are low. But God expects something more out of us. He expects that we work for God first and man second, because man's expectations, man's responsibilities are lower than God's. We let things slip. We let things slide. We don't want the confrontation. We don't want to have to, to punish someone or to correct someone. But God's expectations are higher. So we have to do it for God rather than men. And when you satisfy the work of the Holy Spirit, every man will be satisfied whether he admits it or not. He also goes on to say in verse 24, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward, of the, the reward of the inheritance, it is the Lord Christ whom you serve. Now notice in this scripture how he turns everything back to Christ. The last thing that he mentions here is so that you will receive the reward of the inheritance, it is the Lord Christ whom you serve. So he brought everything back full fold. That's exactly what he's doing here in Ephesians. He's bringing everything back, everything that we do, everything that we put our hand to should point back to Jesus Christ. And he should receive the glory. That's what Paul is teaching us. Now, these are some examples Paul uses to the Ephesians, as I've already said. And uh, he's, this is to let the Ephesians know and us as well. 
Uh, stealing and work were just two things that he brought up. But his point is that we should have a new action. We should do things differently than we did before. 1 Peter 1.13 says, Therefore, if we're going to do this and we're going to have the right actions, the Peter, in 1 Peter it's put this way, Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. He's saying you actually, we have to prepare for this every day. We have to prepare for it every day. It's no, I've told you this is a joke in the past, but it's true. What do you have to do to prepare to have a bad day in the morning? Just wake up. You can have a bad day. There's plenty of stuff out there waiting for you to have a bad day. But Paul, he's, he's teaching us here. What he's saying is we need to prepare ourselves all the time to do the work that God has called us to do and the way God has called us to do it, not just not in the ministry and it's just not at church, it's in everything we put our hands to. He goes on to say in verse 14, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which, you were, which were yours in your ignorance. And that's exactly what Paul is teaching us in Ephesians when Brian brought up the old man and now we are a new person in Christ. These are the things that we should do. In verse 15 he says, but like the holy one who called you, be holy yourselves in all your behavior and all of our behavior. Now I'm going to be the first to admit before this church that my behavior is not always holy. It's not always holy. And if we all answered that question honestly, I think we may have the same answer. He says in verse 16, we're to do this because it is written that you shall be holy for I am holy. God is just simply asking us to be more like him. And he brings it back up in scripture. So Paul is telling us that in order to have that new man, so that we, when we become that new man, our actions should change. We should have new actions in our life. We should be doing things differently. We should be thinking differently. But he also tells us that when we become a new person in Christ, that we're to have speech, that our speech is to be different. Now that's, that's a pretty broad, pretty broad statement there. That's, that's a pretty broad theme or an issue, if you want, if you will, to bring up in our speech. We can bring up all kinds of things on this. In verse 29, look what he says. Look what Paul teaches the Ephesians. In verse 29, he says, as soon as I find it, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word that is good for edification according to the need uh, of the moment so that it will give grace to those who hear. So Paul is telling us when we become a new person in Christ, our speech should be corrected. Our speech, we should have a desire to speak differently. We should have a desire to speak words of life or words of encouragement, words of love. We should have a desire to do that. So we need to choose wisely our words. And if you, if you look in your notes there that I put on there, I wanted to put out there that we need choose wisely our words because listen to what he says in 29. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. Now, immediately our mind goes, well, it's just don't, don't have any curse words. That's, that's not just what that means. Of course, we all know that. That anything that doesn't build up someone else or, t or, or something that tears others down in any way, shape, or form are unwholesome. They're unwholesome words. And unwholesome words are damaging at best. 
They're damaging at best. In Matthew 15, 11, and I've used a lot of scripture today, in Matthew 15, 11, Jesus says himself, it is not what enters into the mouth that defiles the man, but what proceeds out of the mouth is what defiles the man. It's the words that we use, not the, the, the food that we ingest, not anything that we take in, but it's the words that leave our mouth. Unwholesome words are, da- are damaging at best. Slanderous, hateful speech is uncalled for in, in, at any time and for any reason. It's just uncalled for. In fact, Proverbs 15.4 says that a soothing tongue is a tree of life, but, but perversion in it crushes the spirit. Have you ever said something hateful or very damaging or slanderous or something to another person that offended them and you just see their whole face just fall? Have have you ever done that? I've done it and I've seen the face just fall and I could see their disappointment that maybe they thought, I can't believe you feel this way about me and I, I have done that. I've not only done it as, 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 a, as a sinner before I knew Christ, but I have I have messed up and said it to people when I've been a Christian. And it grieves me to know that I've done that. But you just kind of see their face just fall. In the book of Genesis, when, when, uh, when, when God spoke, he, he says, I saw your countenance fall when I called your name because you knew that you killed your brother. When he was talking to Cain, he says, I saw your countenance fall. So he just... He saw that he was disappointed in himself. Uh, He can see all the disappointment in the face, and we've seen that before. What happens is, is what Proverbs is telling us, is that those perversions crush the spirit of the person you're speaking to. It crushes their spirit, and their face begins to fall. And you can see the disappointment in their face. You can read it in their eyes. And most probably, they're going to have words for you that you can hear it. Their disappointment in you. So we we have to choose wisely our words, but we also have to choose words of life. When when we're talking about this, we have to choose words of life. Now, now I I get the fact that when we're at work and we're talking numbers and we're crunching numbers, um, there's not always a whole lot of room to be intentional about the words we're using to build someone up to let them see Christ. We're talking about numbers and budgets, of course. But it might be, the, the, it might be the, the tone of voice or the body language that might speak uh, a little bit of an attitude towards someone. So there's not a whole lot of times where we can interject words of life in a conversation like that. But there are things that we can do to prevent it from tearing others down. Now, when we're talking to business and things like that, but any time that we're speaking with someone, whether, it's a, whether we're on vacation or we're, we're recreating, whether we're at church or we're at work, we have to speak words of life. I, I, I looked up this song. It was one of my, at the time, it was popular on the radio. It was one of my favorite songs. It still is. And it says, speak life to the deepest, darkest night. Speak life when the sun won't shine and you don't know why. Look into the eyes of the brokenhearted. Watch them come alive as soon as you speak hope. Speak life. Those are words from a song, Toby Mac, and the title of the song is Speak Life. Speak words of life and encouragement to other people in your everyday speech and in your everyday manner. So it went deeper. Paul says, first of all, here's what not to do. Don't use this type of language. But then he comes back and he says in verse 29, but only such a word as is good for the edification according to the need of the moment. So Paul is saying to them, assess the need of the moment. What does this person need? 
As God says, if a, if a man came to you and needed some bread, you wouldn't give him a fish, would you? You give him according to his needs. One thing I like to pray for people is that, they, that God will minister to you where you are, minister to you in your need. And I don't really have to pray that because that's how God operates anyway. That's his MO. He ministers to us in our moment, in our time, in what we need. And when, what Paul is trying to encourage us to do is to do the same thing in that moment. Choose the right words and think closely about the, the language that you use so that you can build others up and teach others. You see, choosing words of life is the opposite of tearing people apart. And you see that Paul contrasts these two in the same verse in verse 29. He contrasts the two. We need to build one another up with our words. Colossians 4, 6 says, let your speech always be with grace. Isn't that wonderful? We could stop right there and have to, I mean, we could preach a month on that alone. Let your speech always be with grace. As though seasoned with salt, so that you will know how you should respond to each person. Again, the teaching here is consistent that we can respond appropriately to the person that needs to hear what we have to say. You know, just, just when we're out there in this world, we don't always just encourage people to be a better Christian or to, be, uh, to, to, to know more about God's Word and try to point them into, in the direction of Christ with specific words about Christ. But sometimes people are feeling down about the jobs they do when they're really doing a good job. And it's our duty to lift them up and say, man, you're doing great. But some people, we just get down on ourselves. Some people think, I really want to do better. I want to shine. I want to be better than everybody else out here. And they feel like they're not, and sometimes they just need a word of encouragement. It might not speak the words Jesus Christ, but it will, the, the attitude and the language you use will point to Christ and will make it easier for you in the future to address them about Jesus Christ when the time comes. So there, there's two reasons here. There's the words for the moment. There's ministering words at the right time in the right way. There's two reasons. They're, they're to not tear down, and they are to build up. That's why we are to choose the right words. Now, the third thing that Paul brings up here that I think is very interesting is found in the rest of the, the verses there between verses 30 and 32. And this is something that, man, if you've ever had one, it's hard to get out of them sometimes. And sometimes they can linger on for years depending on what you're talking about or the subject or the person you're talking about. And that is to have a new attitude, a different attitude. When you become a new person in Christ, your attitude is to change. Now, I know we can look at that as, as saying, well, this person did this to me years ago and I got a bad attitude towards them, but it goes deeper than that. It means that our attitude should always be on Christ. Our attitude should always affect our speech. Our attitude should always reflect in our actions. If, if our attitude, and I, think it's, I don't think it's a mistake that Paul brought it up this way, because he brought up the first two about our action and our speech and our words, and then he says, if you don't have the right attitude, you failed at the first two. So if you get to this last one and you really stink at it, you pretty much stink at the first two. So, so he brings this up, and, he, and this is what he says in verse 30 and 30 through 32. He says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Now, grieving the Holy Spirit is simply letting the Holy Spirit down, disappointing or offending the Holy Spirit by not doing what you know you should be doing. And yes, you can offend the Holy Spirit. You can grieve 
the Holy Spirit. It's the first thing he says. When you do this, you've got the wrong attitude towards God. You've got the wrong attitude towards Christ. You've got the wrong attitude about a lot of things. You know, I called a guy a name one time driving down the road when I was a very young Christian, very young, and God says, I never created anybody like you just explained. Never created that type of person. So, so I, 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 had to, I had to think about that. I said, you're right. You're right. I didn't create that. But it was my attitude. If, if our attitudes need to be on Christ at all times, the wrong attitude can turn others from Christ. Did you know that? Our wrong attitude about Christ can turn others away. Our wrong attitude about work can turn others away. Our wrong attitude about finances can turn people away from Christ because they'll, they'll never listen to you if you don't have that right attitude. When we grieve the Holy Spirit, we're offending him. Some of the ways we do this is by what Paul mentions here. Listen to what, some of the things that he mentions. He mentions in verse 31, let bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander, let all of that be put away from you. Let all of it. Because when you have an attitude, those things will come out. And that's what Paul is trying to point out. Overall, I'm not going to look at each one of those things as they're listed. I'm not going to, as, as Paul has laid them out, just like I have it in the earlier part, what I want you to see is that those things will happen as a result of a bad attitude towards God. We need to put them away. We need to get them away from us. This is what the old man did. We are no longer that old person. We are a new creation in Christ Jesus. And look at what he adds in verse 31. He says, look, let this be put away from you along with all malice. Now, this is this, I know you're thinking, okay, I, I get that. I mean, I could probably preach a whole sermon on this itself. Walter probably could, Brian, Michael, we, we could all preach on that. But, but sometimes we do things in the right actions for the wrong reasons. It might seem like our attitude is good. It might seem like our words are wholesome. It might seem like our, our, our actions are helping someone out. But sometimes we can use the right reasons to gain the wrong things. That makes it malicious. We can disguise it any way we want, but if we're really in it for ourselves and we don't really care about what happens to the other person, we've done it maliciously with malice. You see, Satan will do that. He'll make things and he'll dress them up and they look pretty good, but it's only to tear us down. Paul says to do everything without malice. Not, not just put bitterness away so it's done without malice. We can even use good things and positive things in someone's life and use it against them. What does God's word say in the book of James? That the devil will use the very lusts and lusts of your flesh, lusts of your heart, and use them against you. That's what James teaches us. In other words, those things that are lustful to us, those things that we desire more than anything, they look good to us, but Satan will use them against us. Satan will use your own family against you, and you all love your family. Satan will use your career against you if you love your career. Satan will take anything that looks good to you and that you love and use it against you and do it maliciously. So I want to I be very clear on those, that short statement, along with all malice. Don't let it be found in your life. Don't let it be found in your life. And there's not only a wrong attitude can turn others from Christ, but an, we have to have an attitude to bring glory to God. And the band, you can come forward if you'd like. And I want to speak on this last point. 
We have to have an attitude to bring glory to God. I know the band's just sitting there because they're saying it's like three minutes to 12. Troy, you okay? I don't think it's time. But, but listen to me closely. We have to have an attitude. Not only do we need to put off the old attitude or the bad attitude, but we have to bring in and usher in a new attitude. We all need a good attitude in our homes, don't we? Guys, this is for you. Ladies, think about that new dress that you want to buy. Men, how many times have you come home with a bad attitude and to put your wife in one? Anybody want to say amen? I'll say it. Amen. All right, if the men won't do it, ladies, if this has happened, say amen. <laughs> amen. Not to put you, whoa, that was a little too strong back there. I, somebody's got some work to do. I'm not saying that to point anything out or anybody out. Sometimes if we come home with the bad with the wrong attitude, it puts others in the wrong tattered. We have to have the, the right attitude in our homes, in our careers, in our social life, in our recreations. What Brian spoke about this morning, our Life Connect group, how to have the gospel in our life of recreation. That we have to have the right attitude in all of these aspects of life. But we need to go further. Having the right attitude towards God will create, will correct our attitudes elsewhere, as I said earlier. Having the right attitude towards God and what Jesus has done for us will correct our speech, it will correct our actions. And it will clean us up in other areas as well. Having a, a godly attitude will do that. Philippians 2, 4 through 15 says this, and I'll leave you with this last piece of scripture. Do all things without grumbling or, or disputing, so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent, children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you appear as lights in the world. And he's simply telling us to clean up our attitude so that we can be a light unto the lost, a light to the unbelievers, through our actions, through our speech, and through our attitude. And this is why Paul brought this up. He said, if you're a new person in Christ, these things should already be taking place. They should be taking place. And I know as God has convicted my heart over the last seven, eight days that I've been looking at this scripture, that he's convicted me on some things in my life as well. And I hope that he speaks to you in some areas in your life should you need it. But it's things that we should already be possessing as a child of God when we were saved. And if we're not, this is a reminder for us to do just that. And you might be sitting here and you might be thinking as we're singing this last song, well, I don't know what that attitude is. I don't know what those actions are. I don't know what that right speech is, that righteous speech, because I really don't know Christ very well at all anyway. And if that and you've been struggling with that with some, for some time, that's something that needs to be corrected. And it's something that needs to be corrected quickly because we don't know how much time we have left on this earth. We just don't know. I don't want to sound like a cliche, but we have no idea what God has in store for us tomorrow or even after we eat lunch today or even before we eat lunch. We just don't know. This is something that you're struggling with, and I'll ask Miss Rachel if you'll come forward as well and stand up here with me. If there's something you need prayer on, or you just need to talk with somebody, you just need to come down and ask God to change this in your life. Would you reflect on that as we sing this last song and stand together?